good to be here. Am I allowed to ask questions when I'm... T okay. I'm just trying to figure out what's normal, because God knows I don't know normal. Well, my name is John Mata. I'm the pastoral intern at Christ Church Bellingham. I know some of you a little bit. Others of you I don't know at all. I've been here once before. It was two summers ago. This would be my third time here, except the first time I was meant to uh, teach at an evening service, it was going to be 106 degrees. And so I was very grateful that that service was called off. But anyways, uh, if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel 8, it's on page 272. 272. Bit of a longer passage, but it's a good story. Please turn to God's word with me. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war, and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, and cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, and vineyards, and olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain, and of your vineyards, and give it to his officers, and to his servants. He will take your male servants, and female servants, and the best of your young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. 
And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, this evening recognizing our own need for you. Every day we seek after kings other than your Son. And so we ask this day that you would show us of the glory and the beauty of your Son, Jesus, and change us by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, today's text begins eight chapters into the book of 1 Samuel, and so I thought I'd give you a little bit of context for where we are in the story. Uh, just in 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel has, or, or the people of Israel have been essentially under attack by the Philistines. And as the Philistines are approaching Israel, the people in Israel are starting to get afraid. And so they say this to Samuel in chapter 7, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. And then Samuel did what the people of Israel requested, and the Lord, sort of out of nowhere, sends the people of Israel, or the, people, the Philistines into complete confusion and then they're destroyed by Israel. Right in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the people sought the help from the Lord. But that was a more middle-aged Samuel, and now we're in chapter 8. And we have a Samuel who has become old. And the people have become discontent with their leadership in Israel, with the judges ruling in Israel. And so they demand a king. And so I have... Um, one thing I think that God is teaching us through 1 Samuel chapter 8, one thing, and it's this. Trusting a king other than Yahweh leaves us enslaved to that king. And so trust Yahweh. Trusting a king other than Yahweh leaves us enslaved to that king. And so trust Yahweh. And I'm going to demonstrate that with four points from today's text kind of as we walk through it. And the first point is how to handle, sorry, how not to handle discontentment. How not to handle discontentment. And this kind of uh, is where I have my first question for you. I'm curious, how would you say, typically or instinctively, do we as people respond to discontentment in our lives? How do we respond? Or you can even go broader to the culture. What are some ways we respond to discontentment? Does anyone have any ideas? Complaining, that's my go-to. Right? Maybe you lost your job. One way to respond to a discontentment in your work life is to look for a new job. Right? Or complaining might be a, an unhealthy way to do that. Well, if you would, look down at verses 1 through 3. It says, Samuel made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. And the name of his second... Abijah, they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And so already we're seeing that Samuel's method for appointing judges is not so wise. He's discontent with the leadership, the judges in Israel, who are his sons. The people are discontent, so they appoint 
judges. I want you to imagine uh, if a judge near here were to appoint their child as the judge that would follow after them. How do you think people might respond? They would, they would not be happy. They would not be happy, right? They may say nepotism or that's not right, right? Like when we have a judge who's meant to judge justly, we assume that they're in power not because of who their father was, but because of their qualifications. And while in the judges in Israel, there was precedent for appointing your child as a judge, there were also other requirements. So there were two requirements to be a judge in Samuel's day. The first is you have to be godly, and the second is you have to be wise. Right? And Samuel's sons were neither of those things. But Samuel, Samuel was a just judge, right? He served the Lord for decades before this moment. How could he make this kind of mistake? And Samuel was a just judge, but then he got old and he got worried, and because the people of Israel were not serving the Lord, he appointed two judges. He took matters into his own hands. And then look down with me at verses 4 and 5. Then all the elders... I love this verse. Uh, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. I work in youth ministry. And uh, I'm 29 and I get this all the time. Behold, John, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Do you see that the leaders of Israel see what Samuel sees? They see that the leadership in Israel is not just. They're not just, and they were discontent with their leadership. And so they proposed a solution. They said, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And in God's law, a king was an accommodation. Right? Deuteronomy chapter 17 talks about when Israel would one day demand a king, and God lays out rules for how they would appoint a king. And the elders were correct, right? Samuel's sons were not walking in his ways. Their analysis was correct. They were discontent with the way things were, and rightfully so. There were unjust judges judging the land. The problem was their solution and their motivation, right? Instead of proclaiming Yahweh as their true king. They said, appoint for us a king like the nations. And this leads to our first little bit of application from today's text. And that's that you can be discontent with the right things in the wrong ways. You can be discontent with the right things in the wrong ways. So think about maybe in your own life, maybe you have a child who's wandering from their faith. Right? I don't have children I have two sisters who are wandering, and uh, at times I've experienced great anxiety and stress about their wandering. And there, have been, uh, there are good ways to encourage them to think critically about the faiths they are rejecting, but also it's possible, I think, for me to uh, handle my own discontentment from a place of anxiety or fear like the elders were. Right? Things like using manipulative language to convince my sisters to come to church. Using unkind words to show how sad I am they aren't following 
the Lord. These are all responses to legitimate concerns, legitimate discontentment done in the wrong ways. And I think we see a similar problem in today's text. The people have demanded a king because of unjust judges. But their demands for a king is going to lead to them having a king who is not just, who is not wise, and who enslaves them. And so how do we not handle discontentment by seeking solutions that don't come from trust in the ways of our King Jesus? And this leads to my second point. How to handle discontentment. How to handle discontentment. So if you would look at verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. So Samuel was displeased. And I think we have to ask, what do we do when we are displeased with our own circumstances? Do we get bitter? Do we turn inwards? Or do we pray to the Lord? I mean, the contrast is striking in these chapters. In verse 7, or sorry, in chapter 7, they've gone to, the, to Samuel and they, they've said, you know, have the Lord, uh, ask the Lord to go out before us into battle. And then verse 8, they say, we want a king like the nations to go before us into battle. How quickly are we to forget the mercy of God? How quickly are we to forget the mercy of God? And I think sometimes the Lord allows trials and discontentment because he wants us to come to him in prayer. And then the Lord's response is a bit surprising, right? Instead of saying, no, I will not give them a king. I'm their king. He instead says to Samuel, obey the voice of the people. Essentially, do as they ask. Give them a king. Right? But that decision does not appear without God first warning Israel. Right? And this is essentially what is happening in this text. The Lord is saying, fine, you've been disobedient since you left Egypt, verse 8, and so I'll give you what you ask for. But he doesn't do this without first warning the people of Israel. He says to Samuel, I'll give them a king, but first you must warn them what that king will be like. And this leads into my next point, and that's that counterfeit kings enslave us. Counterfeit kings enslave us. Right? Verses 10 through 18 demonstrate to us the awfulness of serving kings other than Yahweh. It's not just that the king would impose taxes upon the people of Israel. It's more than that. Verse 11, it says, He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots. Verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Verse 16, he will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. These are the deeds of a conqueror and a plunderer. And when we serve kings other than Yahweh, they plunder our souls and they make us slaves. Look at verse 17. You will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. Right? Sometimes I think that we think when the Lord withholds something from us, we think that it's because he's some sort of divine buzzkill. But often, 
God sees what we don't. He sees that when we demand to serve things other than Him, we're actually enslaving ourselves to those things. And what I think what God wants based on this passage is that He wants us to trust Him. And I'll show you where I get that. If you look at verse 18, And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. And some of you may be thinking, did he read the wrong verse? Really, like verse 18, how does that teach us that Yahweh wants us to trust him? And I'll illustrate this with a a point from my own life. When I was uh, 17 years old, I had just graduated college and my friends were off kind of doing stupid stuff, drinking, stuff like that. And I said, I want to do that. And so I joined and, you know, drinking underage, not, never a good idea. And long story short, it led to a two-year bout of just misery and depression. And I remember, uh, you know, I wasn't following the Lord at that time, but I remember crying out to him and asking him to free me from the mess I had gotten myself into. And he didn't respond right away, but he, he was with me. He was with me. And eventually he did save me. And I think something similar is going to happen in Israel's own story. The Lord is going to use their stubborn demands for a king in order to put his own king on the throne. And so before I move into my fourth point, I want you to think about uh, uh, things in your own life, right? Is there anything in your life right now that is holding you captive? that is keeping you enslaved? Is there anything in your life that you thought would offer you freedom that has actually left you trapped? As you're driving home today or as you're getting into bed, I want you to think about those things and maybe the Lord is leading you to confess those things to Him, but also to a brother or a sister in Christ. And this leads to my final point. Counterfeit kings cannot frustrate God's plans. Counterfeit kings cannot frustrate God's plans. Look down at verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Friends, one chapter ago, the Lord went before Israel into battle. And now they're serving another king. And yet God's plans were not uh, not disrupted or interrupted by their disobedience. And they're not interrupted by our disobedience. Look at verse 21. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. Can you imagine what Samuel must have been thinking? Right? Lord, why are you letting them have a king? Why are you telling me to obey their voice? But the cliche is true. The Lord's ways are not our ways. Right? The people's irresponsible and sinful discontentment ultimately, through God's providence, would lead to a king who would redeem all of us 
from slavery and from bondage to sin. Right? Some of you may know um, there's commonly common advice given if you're trying to detect a counterfeit bill. Does anyone know how you detect a counterfeit bill? If you've been in churches long enough, someone said it. Yeah, you know the real one. You've got to know the real deal. And the people of Israel did not know that, they de- that the king they demanded would enslave them. And so the Lord warned them. And so in order for us to recognize the ways of the counterfeit king, we need to know the ways of our king. And so I'm going to read you something from uh, Matthew chapter 14. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew... He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. The ways of a counterfeit king, of counterfeit kings, are to take, to enslave. Right? They take our joy, they take our peace, our security. And then they leave us enslaved. But the ways of the King Jesus is that he gives. He has compassion. He sees our need. And he says, here, have something to eat. Right? Israel's idolatry enslaved them. Our idolatry enslaved, enslaves us. And all of us, at various points, are tempted to serve kings other than Jesus. The ways of the king in heaven are such that he saves us and redeems us from slavery. Right? The ways of our king Jesus is that he frees us from the slavery which counterfeit kings place us in. And so today, if you are trusting in kings other than yourself, sorry, if you are trusting in kings other than the Lord, then I invite you to remember the Lord who bought you. Trust the Lord Jesus. He is enthroned on high. He is ruling over all things. He is good. He loves his people. And he loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the gift of your word. Um, Even as you have sustained your people um, for thousands of years, we ask that you would continue to... uh, Sustain us to feed us uh, with your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.